Our uh, second reading this morning comes to us uh, from uh, John's Gospel, where we have been the last few weeks, uh, but uh, we're going to go a little bit further into it today. So listen for God's word to you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. This is the word of the God, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, by now we're probably all kind of wondering where the, uh, where Christmas is. You know, this is the season of Advent and we've been in a, uh, a study of uh, John's Gospel, which doesn't have all the familiar elements of Christmas. It doesn't have the, the star and the wise men. It doesn't have the, the um, uh, angels and the shepherds. It's missing all the things we're expecting from Christmas. And yet, here it is, coming up on Christmas, and we haven't heard about those, except in our songs and the other parts of our worship service. Where are they? Well, John would tell us, I'm getting there. If John were in the room today, he would say, I'm getting there. But I want you to, to bear with me one more week. We have been in this series of, of conversations looking at John's gospel, the, the beginning of John's gospel, where he kind of uh, lays out his, his understanding of what it is Jesus uh, came to do, who Jesus is and what he came to do. And what we've seen is that for, for John to do so, he had to, uh, he had to talk in the language of the of the culture that he was he was um, speaking to and as we heard before as we heard in the other reading uh, it was very popular in in that era to have uh, philosophers that that philosophers were a big part of the culture people heard about them and uh, for us who kind of think of philosophy as something they do on a campus somewhere in an ivory tower that really doesn't intersect much with our life that may be surprising but while we may not have much to do with philosophers whether we know it a lot, we've actually got a lot to do with philosophy, and that's what we've been seeing the last few weeks. So uh, we began a couple of weeks ago where John uh, spoke to one of three uh, kind of philosophical viewpoints in the world, and these are still functioning today. There, there are basically three viewpoints that John speaks to. We're going to look at the third one today, but before that we looked at these other two, the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophies that we heard about in our first reading today. The Epicurean view is the one we heard a couple of weeks ago, and this is probably the most popular view today. It was not the most popular view in the time that John was writing, but it was still very popular. Today, it's probably the default viewpoint of most people you bump into. And it's the idea that uh, there is no deeper meaning to the world, that the world is just what it is. And, you know, if it's good, that's good. And if it's bad, that's too bad. But the world is what it is. Uh, life happens and then you die. That's kind of 
the, the Epicurean viewpoint. It's like, um, if there are any gods, they don't have anything to do with me. They live up on Olympus or whatever, and they don't ever come down here. I don't have anything to do with gods. They don't have anything to do with me. I'm just trying to make it through my life, trying to have fun where I can and, and uh, to avoid as much unpleasantness as I can. And that's an Epicurean viewpoint. And it's what you see with a lot of the people you know. It's, it's the default viewpoint, I think, in our society today. And John says, John says to that, he says, no, that the word became, uh, he says the word was in the beginning. He says the universe was created by a rational thinking God. He talks about the word, the logos, the logic, the reason, the explanation, the understanding behind the world. So that's where John is coming from. He says, he says, I don't hold an Epicurean viewpoint. But then uh, what we saw last week is he says, neither do I hold a Stoic viewpoint. Now, the Stoic viewpoint is um, probably less common today, although you still meet people who have it. Um, it was it was what most people had in the time uh, that John was writing, where he was writing. So the Stoic viewpoint, as we saw, is this idea that there's kind of a positive energy uh, that that makes the world tick. The world does make sense because the world is kind of a positive place. And if you can align yourself to it, if you can align yourself to the to the positive energy in the world, then your life will be better. And of course, as we saw last week at the extreme, the ideal is if you can actually tap into that energy yourself. If you can become a Jedi master who taps into the force or a magician who taps into music, uh, magic, anything you can do, the, the closer you can get to this underlying positive energy in the universe, it makes your life that much better. And that is a stoic viewpoint that... that um, if if you align yourself with the purposes of the universe, then you'll have a better life. So that's a stoic viewpoint. And John says, well, I don't really have that viewpoint either. He says, I have a religious viewpoint. Now, for us today, there aren't many people who are genuinely uh, pagans. There are, are very few people in our culture today who are very who are genuinely pagan. So uh, we wouldn't expect the next question. But for John, it would have been, oh, really? So you're a religious person. What God do you follow? So John is now going to answer that question. He's going to tell them about the God he follows, very much like Paul did um, when he was speaking with the Epicureans and the Stoics in Athens. In fact, um, I have to show you my picture. Uh, this is this is uh, uh, where Paul was was. He went to Athens. He spoke to the um, he spoke to the the people in the synagogues, the religious people in the synagogues, and he spoke to people in the marketplace. And just a sign of how popular philosophy was is there were people in the marketplace who said, hey, you're a philosopher. We have to get you up on the Areopagus where all the other philosophers can hear you because you're saying something that's very interesting. So that's what happened to Paul. So they took him to the Areopagus. I've got a couple of pictures here. This is the Parthenon. Actually, that's my family in front of the Parthenon. Uh, uh, the Parthenon is the biggest of three buildings on the um, Acropolis. As, as Jill said, it's the high place um, in the center of Athens, so that's the Parthenon. And if you turn, like I'm facing it right here, and if I turn and look down kind of at the foot of the Christmas tree over here, I see the Areopagus. So um, a lot of people go there um, because they want a religious experience. A lot of people go there because it's great cell coverage. Every other person on the Areopagus <laughs> is, is talking into their cell phone. I was surprised how many people... And maybe they're phoning somebody saying, hey, I'm, I'm on the Areopagus, you know, I feel religious. I don't know what they were, but everybody was on the Areopagus holding up their cell phones. So, um, so that's the Areopagus. Paul went there. Paul went there because people are saying, you have a different viewpoint. Tell us about this God that you worship. 
Who is this? Who is this new God that you're talking about? And Paul basically tells them in a whole lot more words what John says in very few words. John says, what is coming to being in him was life. He says that the God I serve is the source of life. Oh, I'm jumping ahead, so sorry. Uh, so they ask, what God, what, what God do you serve? And um, if you're following the outline, uh, knowing there is a God, accepting the third viewpoint, saying, okay, not the Epicurean, not the Stoic, the religious, that still doesn't tell you who the God is, right? We may think so in our society because most people you bump into are Christians, but um, that's not necessarily true. There's a Hindu temple just up here behind the, um, uh, um, behind the Tasty Freeze. Um, there's people of different religions all around our city, so uh, it's not it's not the the culture we grew up in a hundred years ago or something where pretty much everybody you bumped into would have known what you meant when you said God. Nowadays, increasingly, we may be having these conversations ourselves. I'm a religious person. Oh, really? What God do you follow? So John is answering that question. He's saying, he's saying that knowing knowing that you um, that you follow a God, knowing that there is a God, isn't the same as knowing that God. So John is going to now tell them about the God he knows. He says, he says, all things came into being through him. That's the religious point of view. And he says, without him, not one thing has come into being. What has come into being in him was life. He says, he says, I follow the living God. Now, partly John is just saying, uh, you know, in the ancient world, the, the world was awash in, in temples and idols. And he's saying, Nothing made of stone, nothing made of wood is a god. Don't bow down to something you made with your own hands. That's silly. He's just saying, that doesn't make any sense. But he's saying more than that. He's saying, where does life come from? He's saying, he's saying idolatry is not just the act of worshiping an idol. Idolatry is the, is the belief that the ultimate comes out of some created thing. And my guess is some of you hold that viewpoint, at least this time of year, because you know what you're getting for Christmas, or you know what you're hoping you'll get for Christmas. And what you're hoping you'll get for Christmas is life. You're hoping you'll have a better life. If you get the shiny thing that you're thinking, if you, if you get the cell phone, if you get the, the new shotgun, if you get the, the, the boat, if you get the car, if you get the 55-inch curved 4K TV, your life will be better. And the thing is, it probably will. But those things are not the source of a better life. Those things are idols. This is why so many people crash and burn in January. They also get the bills for the things that they thought would bring them life. But, but you know, you, you, suppose what you're, what you're looking forward to, the thing you're counting on to give you life is a membership in the gym. Okay, how many people have been down this path, right? That I will have a better life. I will be a better me if I get a membership in the gym. And so you go two, three times in January, and by February, you realize that you had made an idol out of gym membership. And it's not because the gym is bad. There's nothing wrong with the gym. It's just that you had your hopes set on a whole new you, and a, you know you were ready for a bikini or, or whatever it is men are wearing these days. Um, you know, you are all ready for the summer beach season. And in Alaska, the summer beach season is big mud boots. But, um, but you were all ready for it, and January came along, and the gym didn't transform you. You were looking for life. You were looking for something ultimate from something that is simply part of the created order. 
So Paul's saying, Paul, Paul and John, John is saying, in him was life. He is the source of life. But he goes on, he says, he says, he, uh, sorry, I need to, these fill in the blanks. Um, they're a work in progress. So he says, only a living God is worth serving. Don't follow an idol. Don't make an idol out of created things. Don't, don't follow a dead God. So he says, he says, only a living God is worth serving. But then he goes on, he says, the life was the light of all people. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. What does he mean here? Well, he means clarity, right? In a world full of murky, you know, hard to decide what to do sort of decisions, he means clarity. This is the kind of light that, that C.S. Lewis talks about. He, um, C.S. Lewis was a writer uh, about 50 years ago, um, and he said, he said of God this, he said, I believe in Christianity, I think it's coming up. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So John is saying that, that God provides that kind of light, the, the light that makes sense of everything else, that if you, if you can uh, be illuminated by God's light, then other things begin to make sense too. John is saying that God provides that kind of light. But John means more than that. He means John, he means light that shines in darkness. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And again, this is a place where we say, you don't have to transport yourself into the ancient world. You don't have to go visit the Areopagus to understand this. We all understand the kind of darkness he's talking about. He's talking about the darkness we recoil from, the darkness that horrifies us. You know, just yesterday there was a terror attack in a football stadium in Turkey. On Friday there was a a report of a man who went into a church in Charlestown. You remember the news item. And he said the reason he shot nine people is because he had to do it. We're familiar with this darkness. Closer to home, just in Palmer, four teens were arrested for murdering another teenager. We know about that kind of darkness. The kind of darkness, it's not just, uh, I'm a little unclear here. It'd be nice if I understood things a little bit better. But the real, revolting, horrifying darkness that we recoil from. John says, God sees that. See, the Stoic viewpoint, the Epicurean viewpoint, is that God doesn't see and really doesn't care. That's up to you. Good luck with that. John is saying, I follow a living God, a God who is alive, a God who saves, and a God who knows what's going on down here. And isn't just standing up in heaven, looking down and saying, you know, gee, I hope they work it out. A God who not only knows what's going on, but a God who is committed to repairing everything that is broken in our world. A God whose light shines in the darkness because he is coming into the light, or the light is coming into the darkness. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify the light to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John says, kind of his last word on religion before he starts talking about Jesus. His last word is, there is a God who knows what's going on here, who knows what is dark in this world, and is coming here to fix it. He's coming here to bring light into our dark world. So, the source of life and light is this word he's been talking about, 
the, the word of God, the eternal son of, the, of God the Father. And this God is coming. What does it mean he's coming into the darkness? It means he's coming to bring his life, to bring his light. He wants to banish darkness. And because of that, he sends prophets. He sends people like John the Baptist. He sends people like Paul to go to Athens and tell them on the Areopagus what they did not know. That the Epicureans have some, some truth in what they say. The Epicureans aren't all wrong, but their God or their, their gods are totally uh, disconnected from this world. They don't really care what happens. Or the Stoics who say, yes, there's a positive energy in the world, but good luck figuring it out, good luck accessing it. This God, the living God, sends prophets like John and sends Paul to proclaim the good news that God is going to do something about the darkness. The reason we celebrate Advent, the reason we spend our time, instead of talking always about, about camels and wise men and shepherds and all those things, is because we believe God is doing something about the darkness. That he has fixed a day when a man will come and sit in judgment. And so we spend this time during Advent preparing for his coming, examining our own lives and saying, where has darkness become a part of my own life? And how can I overcome that? What can God do in me so that darkness is no longer a part of my own life? So that's the question I invite you to entertain during this last week of of Advent before we give in and, and go all Christmassy. Spend some time asking yourself, where is there darkness in your life? Where have you been caught up in the darkness? Where has the darkness tainted you? And then I ask us together as a church to ask, how are we spreading abroad the good news that we follow a God who is committed to fixing the darkness? A God who does not sit up on Olympus, but a God who is coming. How do we as a church proclaim that good news? Do we even make it good news for people? Do they hear it as judgment or do they hear it as hope? Because we're called to be like Paul, to be like John, to say this is good news, the beginning of the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's be that church proclaiming the good news of the God who comes into the darkness to bring light and life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are not the Epicurean gods living up on Olympus and having nothing to do with us. You're not the stoic, positive energy that that flows through the universe but does not care about our difficulties. We give thanks, Lord, that you are a God who enters into our darkness to overcome it. And we give thanks that the darkness can never overcome you. Lord, we pray that you would guide our church as we seek to to follow in the footsteps of Paul and John, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would shine your light deep into the dark places of our own lives so that we can repent of everything where we have become complicit in the darkness around us. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.